I want to talk to you about something because we have a, a new sponsor and they are called The Wellness Company and they are now sponsors of our live stream. Can you believe it? And here's my favorite part. They give a discount to Rebel viewers if you use the coupon code REBEL. Let me tell you a little bit about them. I'm going to give you their philosophy. The fabric of this company has been woven together by its medical team, whose courage and bravery in their fight for medical freedom and truth, as well as their devotion to the public, will help to ensure improved health outcomes, convenient access to physicians, and lower cost of health care for patients. And I know two of those people personally. Dr. Roger Hawkinson, MD. Dr. Julie Panessi, PhD. I'm excited about these folks. Check them out at twccanada.health. So it's not a .com, it's a .health. And by the way, Peter McCullough's with them. That's amazing. That's amazing, isn't it? So go to twccanada.health, but you've got to use the promo code REBEL if you want the 10% discount. And uh, you can go directly to twccanada.health slash REBEL as well. So I am excited about these guys because A, I know them. B, ideologically, they're ringing my bell. And C, sounds like a necessary uh, effort to fill a major void in our system. Tonight, it's so disillusioning to see people like a former governor general and a former Supreme Court judge soil themselves. Sad, actually. It's May 25th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you sensorious bug. Hey, we're in our boardroom again. We will be in the new studio soon. I am watching it come together. It's extremely exciting. I can hardly wait to show it to you, but you've just got to wait one or two more days. I'm very excited. I'll send you an email about it. I know I've been saying that for a few days now to explain why we're in the boardroom, but it's a great reason. Anyways, I mentioned this the other day that David Johnston looks like you'd want a governor general to look, central casting. And in his own way, he was fine. I mean, as far as we know, there were no scandals or personal abuses like there have been under Justin Trudeau's nominees. Julie Payette, famous for her temper tantrums and abuse of staff. At least that's Trudeau's side of the story. He was constantly leaking against her. We never really heard Julie Payette's side of the story herself as she was driven out, which is odd because in a way she was Trudeau's boss, but he fired her. Then Trudeau appointed Mary Simon, who apparently thinks she's a queen, not a governor general. David Johnston didn't do that sort of thing that we know of, or maybe he was just more skilled and experienced at how to work the expense account machinery so as not to set off alarms. Maybe he's just slicker than Simon and Payette. After all, Johnston has spent his entire life in one bureaucracy or another, including as the head of a university. He probably is an expert at working systems. He really is the deep state in a person, when you think about it, appointed to high offices by both conservative and liberal parties. He's the permanent ruling class, though he himself has never been elected to anything. I told you before that he is a vicious partisan, though, even though he looks like a harmless grandfather. In 2019, he banned Rebel News and our friends at True North from attending the national leaders' debates. The federal court smacked him down hard. A good man, a law-abiding man, or man who believed in the rule of law, would have obeyed 
the court, but not Johnston. In 2021, he did the exact same thing again. His boss, Trudeau, demanded it. So Johnston banned Rebel News from attending the election debates despite the 2019 court ruling. In 2021, the court smashed him down again. Just because he looks like a friendly grandfather doesn't mean he is not a vicious bastard who will do whatever he thinks will benefit him and his masters. And these days, that's not just the Canadian deep state, but the Chinese one. I still marvel at the fact that he sent his daughters to university in China. You do not get a better liberal education, classical education in, in China than you do at Harvard or Yale or Stanford or Oxford or Cambridge or the Sorbonne or even U of T or Queens or McGill or any of the schools that David Johnson could have sent his rich and powerful and connected children to. He sent them to China. You can't speak freely in China. Education is more by rote. It's about obedience. You are there with politically selected students. It's a monoculture. It's not the diversity of the Western University. The children of Communist Party bosses are who you're mingling with. David Johnston did not send his children to Chinese universities to learn. He would have sent them to McGill or Queens or Harvard for that. He sent them to Chinese universities to connect with the Communist Party youth. He is deeply into China, and he has brought China deeply into Canada, welcoming their propaganda agency right into the university over which he presided. Like Justin Trudeau and Alexandre Trudeau, he is the Chinese asset. Imagine having him try and find the Chinese asset. It really is quite astonishing. I don't know if you remember our former foreign minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, who took out a mortgage, as millions of Canadians have, from a bank. That's what Canadians do. Owned by the Chinese government? Who does Who does that? We've got lots of great banks in Canada. Take your pick. I mean, I have great banks. They're all atrocious. But anyone can get a bank loan in Canada. Royal Bank, TD Bank, Scotia Bank. There are credit unions. There are alternative lenders. Who literally chooses to get a mortgage from a bank owned by the Chinese dictatorship? Who does that? And then keeps that loan even as becomes foreign minister. Can you imagine that's how it was and how it still is? Again, I recommend to you the Twitter citizen journalist Andy Lee, who through simple Google searches has shown half the Trudeau family and half the Trudeau cabinet at various functions by the Chinese government. I'm not talking about ethnic Chinese-Canadian things. That's great. That's fine. Chinese-Canadians aren't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the dictatorship itself. The Chinese Communist Party, they were all in bed with it, all of them. Even the media party is starting to think things are a bit weird. Look at this story in CTV. Why does Canada have a disproportionately high number of Chinese diplomats? As former Governor General David Johnson prepares to release his report on foreign interference Tuesday, this was written right before that, new data provided by Global Affairs Canada sheds light on the breadth of Canada's diplomat China's diplomatic presence. Isn't that strange? Look a little bit further down. There are 176 Chinese nationals with diplomatic credentials in Canada. China has the second largest diplomatic presence in Canada after the United States, which is 294 representatives. The UK has 44 accredited representatives in Canada, while Japan has 73. The number of Chinese diplomats, consuls, and attaches south of the 49th parallel is almost identical to the number north of it. The most recent data from 2020 shows that the U.S. 
accredited 178 Chinese nationals, just two more than the current Canadian numbers. It's a surprising statistic given that the population in the U.S. is 10 times the size of Canada. That is crazy. Or is it? Why would China do that? Because they think there's a lot of good things here to be mined. They're colonizing us. And I don't mean that in terms of immigration, although China is consistently in the top one or two or three countries from which immigrants come to Canada. 100,000 Chinese students are here too. And I say again, they are the sons and daughters of the Communist Party elite. They're not random Chinese citizens. But when I say colonizing, I do not mean immigration in this case. I mean, they are converting our machinery of state, our politicians, our bureaucrats, and our deep state into their colony. That's my point about the Trudeau family being the Chinese assets. Why do you need a Chinese spy when Trudeau will be the man for you? I mean, do you remember this humiliating moment when Melanie Jolie was face-to-face with Michael Chong, the conservative MP who was targeted for punishment by the Chinese Communist Party, and they kept that a secret from him, and he complained about it very passionately, and she literally looked him in the eye and said she didn't really want to do anything in response because that could make China mad. You, are, you have given accreditation to a diplomat here who is using his diplomatic immunity to target not just me and my family, but other members of parliament. So why do you, minister, continue to allow this diplomat to be accredited in this country on Canadian soil? That is the question, and you haven't answered the question. Well, let me be able to answer the question. And of course, Michael, I understand your frustration, and I understand your anger. We haven't expelled a single PRC diplomat. We are one of the only democratic allies in the NATO alliance that has not expelled a single PRC diplomat. And Canadians are being targeted by the over 100 Mr. diplomats Chung, accredited will you allow here. The yes. minister okay, to thank respond? you. So, first and foremost, what we're doing right now as a government is we're assessing the consequences that uh, we'll be facing in case of diplomatic expulsion, because there will be consequences. I think it's important that Canadians know what we've learned from the two Michael experience is that, of course, China and the PRC will take action. These interests including economic interests, consular interests, and also uh, diplomatic interests will be Minister, I can't will think of be any affected, interest. and therefore, no, uh, Minister, Michael, I, I just want to finish my answer because this is very important. It's about you, but it's about also the interests of the country. So, as we are assessing the interests, and I know that we are under pressure to go fast, we need to make sure as well that we protect our democracy. And that is why we will take action in light of the, uh, the, the facts that are being presented regarding your case and you know, any MP that could be targeted. So that's why my deputy minister right now is meeting with the Chinese ambassador and summoning him. And that's why also we're assessing different options, including the expulsion of diplomats, because it is important that we take a decision. Yeah, who needs a spy in our foreign ministry when our foreign minister is herself doing the bidding of China? But it's not just how the Chinese Communist Party is throughout Canada and governments and schools and industries. It's how our deep state has circled the wagons now that that there is some scrutiny on them. 
Trudeau appointing his longtime family friend, David Johnson, to look into it. David Johnson, who was at the Trudeau Foundation, which took a Chinese grant. I mean, it's all in the family. It's a club, and you are not invited to that club. David Johnson, as we showed you the other day, he didn't want to recuse himself. He, he said he didn't have to because, because he's so trustworthy. And to prove it, he had a former Supreme Court judge write him a secret letter to prove it. I'm serious. The letter was secret, but take his word for it. Oh, yeah, that Supreme Court judge is his old friend, too. And he just happens to have been with the Trudeau Foundation, too. It's a club. It's all in the family. Now, some reporters who normally shill for Trudeau just can't control their gag reflex here. I mean... Even the Toronto Star says a public inquiry is needed when the Red Star thinks Trudeau is wrong and is willing to say it, you know there's a problem. Hey, here's David Johnston the other day trying to downplay his relationship with Trudeau. I mean, sure, they went skiing all the time. They're two families. They were longtime friends, lifelong friends. But, I mean, really, who amongst us hasn't just bumped into the Trudeaus on the ski hill from time to time? It was nothing unusual. Part of the issue around having to believe what you are saying today is around your credibility. Yes. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you expected this to happen. Uh, obviously, the allegations, particularly from the conservative leader, that you are a friend of Justin Trudeau's family, yeah. you are a member of the Trudeau Foundation. Uh, should you have anticipated that, Mr. Johnston, that, that you would be attacked in that way and that this might undermine the credibility of what you've offered today? No, I did not anticipate that my credibility or my impartiality or integrity would be attacked. The facts are, with respect to a friend of the Prime Minister, when uh, his family returned to Montreal, uh, we knew his father, mm -hmm. and we had, we had a condo at the slopes of Mont Tremblant, about 100 meters from the ski trail. Mr. Trudeau Sr. and his three boys had a country home about 50 kilometers away at Valmoran. Um, on five different occasions over three or two or three years, his three boys and our five daughters skied together in the mountain because he could park his car at our condo and we'd ski out to the mountain. On one of those five occasions, he had to go back to Montreal and I dropped the boys off at their mother's home and their, their husband about 10 kilometers away. So we were not neighbors. That was the contact with the current prime minister. Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, actually disproved the allegation, David. He, he literally mocked a reporter for suggesting when they were friends. He, he said that Trudeau was his so-called friend. Really? Well, let me respond by stating basic facts. First of all, my friendship with the current prime minister. Um, when our children, five, were ages seven to 12, uh, we had a um, condo at the foot of Mont Tremblant. Uh, I knew Mr. Trudeau's father. Uh, he had a country home about 50 kilometers away in Valmoran. On, I think, five occasions over several years, he and his three sons came and parked their car at our parking lot outside our condo, and we skied. On one of those five occasions or so, he had to leave early to get back to Montreal, and on that occasion, I drove the three sons over to their mother's home country home, which was about 10 kilometers present. Those are the so-called neighborhoods. Um, my friendship with the current prime minister uh, was based only on a few skiing expeditions with my children. He was a student at McGill, where I was principal. Uh, and amongst about 20,000 students, I would see him from time to time. In that period of time, until he became a liberal member of parliament, 
and I was Governor General, I had no meetings with Mr. Trudeau, Mr. Justin Trudeau. I had no letters that I can recall, no telephone calls. Um, the only occasion I recall meeting him in that period of 40 years was at the funeral of his father, which my wife and I attended. So there was no interaction with respect to the current prime minister of a, a friendly kind, other than the respect I have for a graduate of McGill University. And my only real contact occurred when he became an elected member of parliament and I held the office of governor general. Those are the facts of the so-called friendship and the scheme. Is that true? Here's a great video that Pierre Polyev put out about the so-called friends part. And the family uh, have become uh, good friends and our friendship with, uh, with Mr. Trudeau goes back to children's days when our five daughters and he and his two brothers skied together at Mont Tremblant. Yeah, to tell us a little more of that because a lot of Canadians don't realize that you, in fact, were a very good friend of Pierre Elliott Trudeau and that your family, uh, you knew all the Trudeau kids when they were growing up. I guess it shows what a small country Canada is, but when Mr. Trudeau left politics, uh, came back to Montreal, his host was just on the edge of the McGill campus, and I and the rector of the University of Montreal were working very hard for him to return to the University of Montreal Faculty of Law, where he'd been a constitutional law professor, and to have a joint appointment to McGill. His three boys were the same age as our five daughters, so we were uh, kind of a ski party from time to time at Mont Tremblant where we have a, a place and would ski on weekends. So we got to know the, the, the children and our friendship, our relationship was really built out of uh, childhood exchanges. And our children had enormous respect for Mr. Trudeau Sr. Uh, he was a lovely, a wonderful father and very good with children. Uh, he would lead them into discussions that uh, uh, would be uh, Let's, come, let's talk about um, how many functioning democracies there are in the world, for example. This was with teenagers. It was just great. Yeah, I, I think they're more than just so-called friends. That, that's from David Johnson's own mouth. And he looked at reporters straight in the eyes, and he lied the other day. He lied like a Trudeau family member lies. Isn't that something? The old governor general, the old reliable guy trusted by both sides, he has sullied himself, dirtied himself. He's in his 80s now. I think he's 81. He should be spending his time with his grandchildren. He should be enjoying the golden years of his life after a life of service. But he's torching his life's reputation and his family name for what? to protect Trudeau because he took dirty money? Or maybe Johnston's in on it too. I mean, Johnston continued to do business with Communist China even after he was governor general. Why would he keep in touch with them? What kind of business did he have with them? Which side was he working for, Canada or China? Why wasn't that in his report? Well, it's like putting OJ in charge of finding the real killers. That's David Johnson. Um, he looks good which is his main use to Trudeau, because he lies like a rug. Which makes me think of another shill for the Chinese Communist Party, Beverly McLaughlin, the former Chief Justice of the Canadian Supreme Court. She's a great liberal. I don't know if you recall, she's the one who really got the ball rolling denouncing Canada as being a genocidal state. She's the one who started that. Trudeau loved it and embraced it. He calls us genocidal all the time. Well, she retired, and like... Johnston and Frank Yakabichi, the 
uh, former justice who wrote the secret letter to Johnson, Beverly McLaughlin thought she would cash in, which is pretty gross. And she went to China. Beverly McLaughlin actually went to China to sit on the final court of appeal in Hong Kong as a judge. Now, she went there when Hong Kong was free. When China took over Hong Kong and brutally shut down its democracy and political dissent and shut down independent media and arrested peaceful protesters, most of the other foreign judges, the Brits, on that court resigned in protest. They resigned because they refused to work for a dictatorship. They resigned to make a stand, to make a point, to show that China is not fair or free, not our Beverly. (laughs) She positively said that that was her time to shine. She didn't have to share the spotlight with those Brits anymore. She was delighted to stay on to enforce Xi Jinping's brutality in Hong Kong. Funny, though, it's really odd. She was quick to denounce Canada as being a genocidal state, but she has yet to say the same thing about her new adopted country, which actually has perpetrated a genocide against Uyghurs and other minorities. You know, for years we were told to look up to these elites. I remember in law school, being told to look up to her, look up to the chief judge for sure, look up to the governor general for sure. Oh, and they wear fancy robes sometimes, don't they? And their regalia and their pomp and circumstance, they're better than you, really. They're they're better people than you. They're higher on the hierarchy. Know your place, okay? They look better than you. They sound better than you. They dress better than you. They earn better than you, even though it's all from the public trough, so are they really earning it? So understand they are morally better than you. Obey them when they make laws from the courts, not the parliaments. Accept it when they want to censor Trudeau's enemies like Johnston censored Rebel News. Stop asking questions about corruption when it embarrasses Trudeau and his cronies and family friends. You know what? They are not better than you and me. In fact, I think they're worse. Stay with us for more. Roxham Road, which Justin Trudeau declared open in a tweet shortly after his election, it's being closed. And thousands of migrants who had planned to come from New York City as the staging ground across the Canadian border, well, they're backed up in the United States, including in New York itself. Now, New York is an enormous city, the largest city in the United States, and it has its own problems including its own homeless problem. New York City, being a Democrat city, proudly declares itself a sanctuary city. By that they mean they will not deport, they will not assist in the deportation of illegal migrants. They say things like, no one is illegal. Well, that's easy to say when the illegals are at border crossings in places like Texas. But what happens when thousands of foreign migrants start to bottleneck in New York because Trudeau is no longer taking them through Roxham Road. What happens to them? What are their plans? Well, we sent two reporters to New York City to find out. I'm talking about Alexa Levine and Lincoln Jay, both of whom have reported on the Roxham Road crossing. They're in New York, and they found some very interesting things. Joining us now from the streets of the Big Apple is our friend Alexa Levine. Alexa, great to see you. I'm sort of jealous. It looks like a lovely spring day in New York City, but it's actually a squalid time for those migrants. Tell us what you've discovered about where they're being housed, how they're being housed, and what's happened to them. So 
thanks for inviting me on your show. Um, so right now, what we saw so, saw so far, we went to the Roosevelt. It's a hotel where migrants have been housed and still been housed at this hotel. We saw multiple migrants getting in and out of this hotel. Afterwards, we went to that school where um, some migrant was being housed inside of the gymnasium uh, during that school where children was going into school. And so because of the backlash of the parents knowing about what is going on in that gymnasium, they actually clean the, the school. So no migrant is housing at that school anymore. That was in Coney Island. So now we're in Manhattan and we are walking through the city to see where the migrant is are out, being housed. So we saw multiple shelter where unfortunately homeless told us that if they are not there at 11, buses full of migrants arrive at night and they take their bed if they didn't sign up for their bed before the bus arrive. This is really sad because what they were explaining is like the resources have diminished and now um, they need to, to find like as a help as possible and they are citizens of New York or they are citizens of the US and now they see their rights and what they, they, they should have as a services being taken away from by the migrant who arrive in New York. We also follow to another um, another hotel where there is security and you are not allowed to enter, but it's writing no vacancy. And they say that it's only immigration. 38 room in that small hotel, full book by migrant. And they say that it started beginning of May and now they don't know until when the old hotel will be rent out by the government to house migrants. Hmm. And now we are uh, going to see some places where they receive uh, free food. So these organizations doesn't receive any help from the government to feed them. So I was talking with some of the organizers and some volunteers, and they say that they never saw that before. They say that they have so many people arriving from all around the world they don't have any job yet they don't have place to stay and they have no food also so they need to provide them services but fun fact you know that the mayor eric adam was so proud to, to call himself and his city a sanctuary city but recently he's been to court to ask the judge to revisit the sanctuary statue of new york city since now it's getting costly and very chaotic in this city. Hmm. You know, Democrats are good at um, virtue signaling, at telling us how noble they are. Um, they talked a good game about sanctuary cities when all the illegal migrants were in Texas. It's incredible to me that I think I heard you say they were housing them in schools, school gyms during the time when kids were using the schools. That's got to be dangerous. I mean, a lot of schools, if you're an adult, you must check in at the front office. You're not allowed to roam around. I mean, you protect the kids from strangers. Imagine having dozens or hundreds of strangers, not even citizens, just homeless strangers from foreign lands in your school gym. That's crazy. 
I'm sure the hotel operators won't quarrel because they're obviously getting paid by the government. And, you know, although the homeless themselves can't pay, the government's good for it. So they probably don't mind. We saw that in Canada, too. The thousands and thousands of migrants that came through Roxham Road, they were put up in hotels all around Canada, even in other provinces. Now, you and Lincoln have done some interviews, just interesting people on the street, people you found. Why don't you set up a couple of the clips that you've taken and tell us what they are and then show them to us? A man who explained his in-language in Spanish how it was to cross not only the Darien Gap, where is the really dangerous jungle, saying that they saw like dead body and, and mercenary like raping people, and he actually explained also how it was hard to cross into uh, U.S. And now he's placed in the shelter. Doesn't know how long he can be staying there. Doesn't know like nothing about his work permit or anything. And he's just waiting, chasing food as much as he can d- go. And he have just a, the, the identification paper with him to travel around. And we had like also a homeless person who actually shared his story. So can you describe how the influx of migrants is impacting uh, your life as a, a, a homeless person in the shelter? Um, it's impacting me in different ways, emotionally, um, mentally, uh, even physically in some ways, because now the food has changed, you know. I'm not getting nutritious meals. Even though I'm receiving public assistance, even that is not enough because of where I'm located. The prices, the cost of living is high. So the money that I do receive each month, I have to really, really, really stretch it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So many d- different testimony of people saying that they spend all their money to come to U.S. And some of them did pay coyote to cross. Some of them didn't pay. Hey, Coyote, to, to cross. But it's sad to hear their story. I'm saying that some people maybe are there for a different reason. But what we saw so far is there's desperate people who doesn't have a job at their where they live. It's kind of dangerous city. A lot of Venezuelan people are here right now. What happened with the migrant with the school that is just behind us? Well, one night we just saw them bringing in a bunch of buses. Um, it was a bunch of police, and then they waited till people went to sleep. They snuck them in about maybe 5 o'clock in the morning, maybe 3 in the morning. Um, once we found out about it, my, because my son goes to the school, you know, I was just concerned for the safety of my son. So it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have never allowed to be there. Second of all, they put this in place. They should have had a meeting with the neighborhood, the people live here and let us know what's going on. Like she said, we don't know who they're bringing there. We don't know who the people is here, you understand? They, they are just searching for a better life, but what they get when they arrive in New York is actually almost worse than what they had in their country, living in the street and chasing food when they have like minor children in, at, like with them. It's, it's just incredible. Like, I don't know if they should like proceed to keep them. They were using um, one bathroom. There's only one bathroom in that gym, and there was thousands of them in there. It was, uh, it, they said it was maybe only 600. It had to be more than 600 people in there because the cots, they had cots. They, they, they were set up like cots. They were not beds. They were cots, like jail cots set up in the gym, and there was one bathroom, and they can't even bathe in there. It's, no, it's not even a shower in there. It was a bathroom, just a bathroom. 
they have already a problem of homeless and now they're getting like more people in the street. And so I'm just thinking what will happen with the Big Apple when all these migrants will begin homeless forever. Hmm. And of course, these are the people that Justin Trudeau said, hey, if you're having problems being um, homeless or being stateless in New York, come on all up to Canada. So uh, it's interesting that uh, these are the, Justin Trudeau essentially for seven years has volunteered to be America's homeless shelter. I just want to, maybe you heard a quote of a man who actually crossed the Darien jungle and how dangerous it is for them to cross and to have a better life here in the U.S. So they are ready to cross everything to get Hmm. here. Well, it's very interesting. There's different layers here. I mean, the fact that the American border is absolutely obliterated, there there really is no border for any intents and purposes, is newsworthy. Um, Donald Trump would say, I'll build a wall. He, he of course, had four years and did not build a wall. Um, the fact that the sanctuary city Democrats are suddenly now talking back and saying, well, we didn't really meet it is an incredibly an incredible story. And I think the sleeper story here is that for seven years, Canada was the safety valve. We took the, uh, the migrants from the United States that they were going to deport. It's quite an astonishing thing. Well, listen, keep up the reporting down there. It's a very interesting story. And um, it's exciting that our team can travel again because it was only May 11th that unvaccinated Canadians could enter the United States uh, without having to show vaccination status. So, so many of our team couldn't travel. It's great to be able to travel the world again. Rebel News journalists have covered stories in a dozen countries. And uh, this is an interesting story in New York. It's great to see you down there. Look forward to your safe return. Thank you. And remember that on May 11th, not only they lift the last health restriction, but they also lift the Title 42 to replace it by Title 8 at the border. And it's why we see probably like a backlash because Joe Biden said out loud that it will be chaotic for a while because of the changing of the title at the border. Hmm. Uh, By the way, folks, if you want to see all of our reports on this issue, go to MigrantReports.com. See you soon, Alexa. Thank you. All right. Stay with us. Your letters to me next. Hey, welcome back. Your letters to me. Amazon 62 writes about the BBC Verify. She's obviously qualified enough to say what misinformation is. Working for the BBC, she must be well up to speed with what misinformation is. Yeah, you know, um, this whole new phrase, fact checkers, misinformation, disinformation, um, this is since the beginning of time. Um, He said, she said, uh, Cain and Abel. Um, Who do you believe? Uh, that's the job of journalists is to try and seek the truth. But um, the truth is difficult to find sometimes and people can disagree. And that's why we have freedom of speech. That's why we have elections because you have two different people who presumably in good faith come to completely different conclusions about the world and what should be done about it. The hubris of anyone saying, I will tell you what is true. You can tell me what you think is true and you can do your best to prove it and I'll give you the, I'll listen to you, but for you to tell me that you will resolve the debate, you who is a
her degree is in French and Russian, and as a journalist for about five years, mainly in the TikTok field, the idea that she would be the arbiter of anything is a laugh. Al talks about the church burning, says if it were a mosque being burned down, you'd never hear the end of it. Well, listen, I don't want any place of worship to be burned down, but I also note that it was only churches that were shut down by police during the lockdowns, too. Only Christian pastors who were jailed. Cindy Hadiuk says, wasn't Pastor Derek also arrested for the crime of kneeling and praying in front of a city hall? Yes, you're right. And I, and I didn't give a full description of what he was arrested for. You're talking about Derek Reimer, who um, the Democracy Fund is defending, who I'm very pleased to say. That's a civil liberties case. And where are the liberal civil libertarians? Well, they're not really any more of them around anymore, are there? That's our show for today. Boy, I got to tell you, I'm aching to show you the studio, which is under construction. It's, uh, it's going to be ready soon, and you're going to say, wow, I, I, at least that's how I feel. And we're in the boardroom until then, so thanks for your patience with us. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. <laughs>